And so Paul said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus, the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. As if COVID-19 wasn't enough, we find ourselves right now living in a world that is blowing up, coming literally to blows over the question of identity. Who am I? And what determines my identity in the world? India is becoming an increasingly difficult place to be a Muslim, a Christian, or a Buddhist because Hindu nationalism is on the rise. To be an Indian is to be Hindu, and therefore to be any other religion means you must be unpatriotic. In the United States, and even to a certain extent here in Canada, we have a battle between leftists and the far right. Who has the power? And who determines who gets to say what in public? In Quebec, I remember long ago the chant of Le Québec aux Québécois, Quebec for Quebecers, which only raises the question, who is a Quebecer and who is not? We remember Jacques Perizot's famous speech after the last separation referendum. We would have won if only for money and the ethnic vote. Now, one of the shows that I occasionally get a chance to listen to is a podcast called It's Been a Minute, hosted by an American named Sam Sanders. And this week, he interviewed another uh, famous comedian, Nicole Byer. You might know her from her Netflix show, um, Nailed It, which is all about people that don't know how to bake. And the two of them were having a conversation, and their conversation turned to the question of church. Now, before that, they were talking about identity. What does it mean to be fat? What does it mean to be black? And what does all of that mean in the United States? And so when their attention turned to the church, it also turned to the question of Christian identity. So I'm just going to quote from both of them. Sam Sanders said, I grew up very religious in a Pentecostal church, son of the church organist, and I didn't realize until several years into adulthood, like growing up like that in a church like that, your entire notion of love and acceptance is built on rules. You follow these rules. You get these things. God has written these rules for you. The Bible says do this, and you only succeed and get love if you follow the rules the right way. Nicole Byer followed that up by saying, I also grew up in the church, and I have issues with organized religion and the church because a lot of the Bible is rooted in God as a jealous God. God is a vengeful God, but God loves you. And you're like, wait a minute, so this man or this entity will strike me dead if I disobey him, but he loves me? What do you mean by that? So yeah, it's a confusing message, I think. Now, that's why I'm a Lutheran. Lutherans nailed this, no pun intended. We got down to brass tacks 500 years ago and said, if we do not understand what Christ has done for us, 
and what our contribution, if any, is to our salvation, what our contribution, if any, is to God being our Father and loving us, we are going to end up like Sam Sanders and Nicole Byer. So, of course, the magic two words that we use to try and explain how to properly talk about all this are those two famous Reformation words, justification and sanctification. Now, the problem is, what do those words mean? What do justification and sanctification mean if we were to go out, for example, and talk to a Black Lives Matter protester? Would they be at all interested in hearing those words? What about to our own First Nations people? What about to ordinary Canadians like you and I who don't know whether to feel good or bad about Canada anymore? Yaroslav Pelikan, one of the most famous members of the SELC, an old Slovak theologian, said when it comes to creeds, and the same applies to words like justification, sanctification, they need to be translated and made to make sense for every generation, for every people. We can't just let them hang there in the air. We need to make them make sense to you and to me. Now, Yaroslav Pelikan wrote that about creeds. He said, a creed is an answer to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? But the equally important question we're talking about this morning, when we're talking about identity, is who do you say that you are? And why do you say that about yourself? And if you can answer that question, who do you say that you are, then the next question follows along, what does that mean for my life? Identity comes first. And when your identity is secure, then you can begin the discussion about what will that mean for what I say, for what I do, and how I will act in the world. Justification comes first. Only then can we talk about sanctification, or as I propose we talk about it, identity in Christ comes first. And only then, when that is secure, can we talk about what your Christian life looks like towards your family, in your job, towards your country, and with your neighbors. The Augsburg Confession deals with both the question of identity and action. In Article 4, after we get out of the way, who is God, what is sin, and who is Jesus, the Augsburg Confessors wrote, We teach that men cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merits, or works, but are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when they believe that they are received into favor and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, who by his death has made satisfaction for our sins. This faith God imputes for righteousness in his sight. Now, any theologian totally gets those words. We dig it, man. These, this is like our language. But what does that mean in English? It means received into God's favor and sins are forgiven means God is a God of love for us. That's all it means. 
If you ask who our God is, it is first and foremost not a God of vengeance or jealousy, but a God who is a father. For Christ's sake, by his death, who made satisfaction. What does that mean? It means that God is a God of love precisely because of his son. How do you know God loves you? We're dealing with a pandemic. We have a six-year-old and 11-year-old whose bodies were found dead outside of Quebec City, possibly at the hand of their own father. How do you talk about a God of love in those circumstances? Precisely because we see a God of love there dying for you and I on the cross in Jesus of Nazareth. And not by their own strength, merits, or works. It means we didn't earn this. We didn't work for it. We didn't pay our dues. We didn't put down a deposit. God gives it to us as a gift. Freely does he offer it through Christ for us. Or as Paul puts it, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you this morning, this most crucial question. Who are you? Paul's answer is sons and daughters of God by adoption, heirs of our Heavenly Father. <coughs> Let me ask you the second important question. How did this happen? Did you earn it? Did you write away for it with the box tops from a bunch of cereal boxes? Did the government grant it to you? Were you born into this? No. It was given to you and to me by God's Spirit himself. That is who we are. That is our identity in the world. That is what allows us in the face of anything to say, I know who I am. And I know whose I am. And no matter what the world or even my own flesh, or Satan and the demonic forces, or a virus, or anybody might do to me, no one can take away my identity. Son and daughter of God is the identity that trumps every other one. How do I know that? Let me ask you this. What's your inheritance as a Canadian? Well, we have the land but that could just as easily be taken away. We get money from the government. That's not much of an inheritance. What's your inheritance as a white person, as a black person, as an indigenous person? What is your inheritance as an immigrant, as being a middle-class person or an upper-class person or a lower-class person? There is only one inheritance that is common to all of those identities, and that inheritance is death. Canadian by birth, Canadian by immigration, white, black, indigenous, Asian, it does not matter. The one thing we all inherit from those identities is a coffin and a grave. If we get rid tomorrow by the snap of the fingers of systemic racism, 
of poverty and inequality, of global economic disparities, of climate change, and of every virus or bacteria that might cause us an illness, we will still face death. But not as a child of God. The inheritance that we have as a child of God is eternal life, and it is the only way we can find that inheritance is in Christ. Now that's who you are, and therefore how ought we live. Two articles later in the Augsburg Confession, Article 6 on good works, the confessors said it is also taught among us that such faith, such an identity in Christ, should produce good fruits and good works, and that we must do all such good works as God has commanded but we should do them for God's sake and not place our trust in them as if thereby to merit favor before God. Or as Paul puts it in his letter to the Romans, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Identity leads to action. But you have to put them in the right order. They are distinct. They are not the same thing. You've heard it said, for example, you are what you eat. But that's not really true. I'm not a salad. You've also heard it said, actions speak louder than words. But the reality is that both our actions and our words can only share our identity. They do not create it. But if your identity is messed up, if you do not really know who you are, towards God and Christ, your actions will be equally messed up. And you won't know how to act, and you won't know how to behave, and you won't know who should give you guidance. If you think that you're a loser, if you think you have no hope, if you think that we should eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, if you have no prospects, if you feel disrespected and you feel unloved, how do you think you're going to behave? What kind of words will come out of your mouth and what kind of actions are you going to display? On the other side, do we not, each and every one of us, receive advice, counsel, and direction and influence better from those that we know love us and care for us and want the best for us and, in fact, are the ones who've given us our identity? If that's true of us in our earthly life, how much more so our Heavenly Father, who has redeemed us through His Son, Jesus Christ. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. A false identity leads only to fear. And you will not have the courage to do what needs to be done or say what needs to be said. But Paul says you have received the spirit of adoption. You are God's. And he is your father. And as your father, he guides and teaches you as any good parent teaches their children. Dr. Gary McPherson, you've probably never heard of before, but he studied the ability of children to learn a musical instrument. And he wanted to know why is it that some children successfully learn to play the piano or the violin or the saxophone or the drums and others just struggle at it. 
And in a landmark 1997 study, Dr. McPherson concluded there was a strong and direct correlation between whether the child thought of themselves as a musician and the impact that had on their practice. Children who thought they would be lifelong musicians, if you ask them, why are you learning an instrument? Because I, I want to be a pianist. I'm going to be a musician. Learned more in 20 minutes of weekly practice than students who practice four times more each week, but only thought of themselves as people trying to learn to play an instrument and not as a musician. Conclusion? The children who had the most success didn't perceive themselves as children playing a musical instrument. They perceived themselves as musicians. That's it in a nutshell. This is how it works. Those who know that they are children of God are more likely to start behaving like children of God than those who are told that if you behave in a certain way, you might end up potentially receiving adoption as sons. And so the conclusion to all of this identity business is this. We do not do to become. We behave like who we already are. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.